Audio Wrangling is a sister site to Audio Angling, allowing people with angling and related topics to express them freely as an insight into what some of the issues were in the early part of the 21st century. My name is Phil Williams and this is a 2014 recording on the banks of the River Hodder with Dr Malcolm Greenhalge, having a good old-fashioned morn about a selection of gripes on the game fishing scene. One of the great things about stocking rivers that they used to do with brown trout, and it's the same with Punta Seca still waters, is that in the old days we used to kill our bag limits every time we went near the water. And now recently we've decided that we don't do that, although I'm against people saying I shouldn't tap the odd fish on the head. One of the great pleasures for me of being a fisherman is to be able to take home a few fish. For example, on Christmas Eve I have traditionally for years and years and years always put a sea trout on the table. And I've got my sea trout for this Christmas in the deep freeze and it was caught out off the river hodder. That's it. I'm not damaging the population doing that. People have criticised me for tapping the odd fish but I'm not doing that. But on the other hand there are other pressures on fish. The salmon runs now, as I said, in northwest England are pretty poor. The sea trout stocks are holding their own, but are lower than they were in the 60s. If we have only got wild brown trout with no stocking of trout in the rivers, then we've got to be careful what trout we kill. And I'm very much in favour, if, if we're going to allow people to kill wild trout, if we have no stocking, of saying, you must put everything back over, say, 12 inches long and then anything under 10 inches long. So there's just that little window of fish, which means that very occasionally one might t take a fish home. Because it should be a privilege to eat a wild fish that we've caught. Whether it's when we've been catching mackerel or whatever, it's still a privilege to take home proper fish. And you've only got to go on to say Bolton Market is a classic example, where the amount of wild fish on the market is pretty negligible. It's nearly all farm fish from tilapia through to bass and so on, all farmed. So it is a privilege to eat real wild fish. But there are other problems. There are other problems. Pollution, most of our rivers are cleaner than they ever have been. So, for example, the River Mersey has a good run of salmon on it now. 20 years ago, if you fell into the River Mersey and were taken to hospital in Liverpool, stomach pump would be too late, you're dead from poisoning. But there are other problems, and other problems are predators, and so on and so on. So we've got to be very careful to protect the fish we have, and we, we as anglers ought to do as much as we can if we're fishing wild fisheries to make sure that the habitat is as perfect as we can get it. And by habitat, I mean the waterside habitat. There are too many fly fishermen who say, if we took that branch off, that tree, I'd be able to cast there. I'm sorry if you can't cast there, hard luck, because that branch hanging out over the water protects the fish that are living under it from high temperatures and from predators. So you can't catch it, hard cheese. You shouldn't be able to catch every fish in the river. And if I can give, give you a contrast from rivers like that where everything is cut down, if you come to me to the River Eden, which is a phenomenally productive trout water, full of trout, wild trout, the reason is that lots and lots of the trout in that river you cannot catch because they're in trees, in bushes. They'll come out occasionally and the surplus population will be out in more open water. But you've got this great back fill of trout that can't be touched. And they are the future of the River Eden. 
Now you see, you take other rivers, like we've had it get on the ribble sometimes, you know. Oh, can we take those branches off? You're doing the opposite. You're opening river up and you're losing trout. I remember on the River Air, we fished the River Air up in the Dales. And above a, just above a bridge, there's lots and lots of tree on one side and sort of big wild rhubarb on the other side. And it's handsy, it's a little stream, very crystal clear. And one of our committee men said to me years ago, it'd be much easier to catch if we took those trees out. I said, yeah, but if you took those trees out, there'll be a trout there to catch. People don't realise that. Everybody looks at short term what I want to catch. In far as wild trout and salmon fishing is concerned, it's enjoy fishing it, it's a privilege, but the river and the fish come first. Here end of the lesson. Do you want me to comment on carp fishers and so on? I'll do this, then I'll have my, my final gripe. One of the great problems that we have today is that people, young people, kids, are not allowed to work hard and learn how to do something gradually. If you go back to our childhood in the, say, 50s, we went to a pond, we drowned a worm or a maggot, and we might even look to catch a roach five inches long, if that. They aren't prepared to put that effort in drowning maggots and hoping that one day they'll catch the odd fish. Because by doing that, you build up technique and expertise until eventually you can cope with even more situations until eventually you're a competent angler. So what we've seen this last few years is things being made easy. Now in the game fishing world it was first made easy by the introduction of river trout in vast numbers in ponds. This provided lots and lots and lots of people opportunity who live miles away from wild, fish, wild trout fisheries to catch a few trout and very good. The problem is though that whereas we were learning on wild fisheries and then go catching a few rainbows the people who've learned to fish on rainbow trout fisheries go to a river and say, oh, there's no big fish in there. Or, oh, these aren't easy to catch. And therefore they don't go for them. And I'm afraid the same thing's happened in the coarse fishing world. You see, the great coarse fishing venues were some of the great canals where they had competition, matches with hundreds of people taking part. First Division, Second Division, Third Division, Nationals. I remember the Anglia Cup, which was a knockout, and they were magnificent events. Can you imagine sort of a canal with, say, 200 anglers, 10 yards apart throughout? I remember those. They don't occur anymore. Why? Because it's too difficult. If you're lucky, you might catch two small roach, but you won't win a prize. So what do we have now? We have a little pond that's filled with carp, the carp are kept fed in the evening because the, the owner comes down to feed them. They're childishly easy, and that's what they have. And so you, if you look in, say, Angling Times now, competitions, what you see is these huge weights from the carp ponds, and then all of a sudden you'll say, match won by £2, 3 ounce, 4 drams. you go, that's a canal. And there's very few of those, and that is proper fishing. One gripe I have is that people today can't take proper fishing they've lost the ability the patience to learn to master a technique so anybody who comes to me and says i'm an outstanding trout fisherman because i can knock stop rainbow trout out or i can knock these little carp out easily i'll turn around and say you're an amateur you're a child you can't do it come with me and catch some of these fish much can't do it i'm now going to come out with my biggest biggest moan about the modern especially trout angler. I'm an Englishman 
am proud to be English. I speak English, I write English, and I try to write English in a reasonable way. My clothing, my wife moans about it, is traditional English. I wear, as I'm wearing now, baggy corduroy trousers. I wear leather shoes. I wear socks. I wear checky shirts. I wear pullovers, the odd fleece, tweed jackets, and I love my tweed hats. If you were to look at the photographs in Trout and Salmon from the 1950s and 60s, front covers, you would see people attired in such English garb. A pair of thigh waders, nice tweed jacket, nice tweed hat. What have we got today? What we've got today is yet another dreadful Yankee import. What we have today, if you look at the front covers of certain magazines, people wearing chest high waders, but not ordinary chest high waders that we might have worn in the 60s for salmon fishing, but chest high waders with wading boots, with gravel guards. And I've even seen photographs in magazines of people fishing on platforms at rainbow trout ponds wearing the aforementioned item. What do they wear above the waist? They have a khaki shirt, usually with epaulettes, and in famous anglers' cases, they have their name engraved on it. I'll come why in a minute, why they have to have the name engraved on it. They then have something called a fishing waistcoat, or as the Americans call it, a vest. A fishing waistcoat or vest is an absolutely ghastly little thing that makes most anglers look like Michelin Man. With trillions upon millions of pockets. Each of these pockets stuffed with God knows what, and then stuck on the outside zingers. Zingers, you name it, they've got it. Around the neck will always be a red kerchief, a la cowboy, and the hat. Well, sometimes it's a cowboy hat, but even worse, it's a baseball cap. Now, come on, folks, we don't play baseball in England. And often with NY on the peak. New York, half these people haven't been to New York. And even worse, which is why I think they put the name on their shirts or their fishing vests, is that they wear the hat the wrong way round, which, as I've pointed out many times in the literature, immediately diminishes the IQ by 50%. I remember an instance of this with my friend Marc Petitjean, who is the Cool de Canard expert. We used to go to Slovenia for two weeks frequently. And we were staying up at Camp Clean at the top of the Socha Valley, which is a fishing lodge. And staying at the lodge were three Frenchmen. We arrived in the first evening. We just only stayed a couple of days. To see these Frenchmen already changed and waiting for dinner. And they said to us, as you caught anything, I'll do it in English rather than French. Have you caught any patch, they said. And uh, I said, we. Oui. And Mark said, oh, how many we caught? So he said, oh, I think we caught 40 or 50 fish or short way today. 40 or 50 fish, said these fruit. Ooh, I mean, where? Dans la rivière, we said. 
Le Rivier EC, they said. Yes, the EC here river, that's what. Mon Dieu, they said. Following morning we got up. We were sitting there having our leisurely breakfast when in came the Frenchman. Attired, just as I explained. They had chest high wearers with wading boots and gravel guards. They had check shirts with red bandanas and a fishing vest that was full of pockets filled with all sorts of goodies. They had zingers. They had a zinger for collecting insects on the surface and a zinger with a net for collecting food under the surface. They had a zinger on the back to catch their trout. Oh, can I just make one little added to this? The thing that always tickles me no end is the fact that these people have these lovely polished nets. They're so small it indicates they have no ambition of catching trout of any size. They had the baseball hats on, which didn't say NY, I don't know what they did say, but they had the baseball hats on. They all had a new sage rod, a new reel, a new line, new everything. They looked immaculate. Man from C&Q. B&Q. No, C&A. Anyway, they said, Êtes-vous allez pêcher? Which means, are you going fishing? So we said, oui. A moment. Le petit déjeuner, breakfast first. We ate our breakfast, and they had their car with all the rods on. We went out, jumped into Mark's vehicle and drove to the first bit of river. Jumped out, it was a nice stream. Mark said, I want you to catch the first fish today. I need a photograph. So there's a grayling feeding, so I cast my fly over, hooked this grayling, played it out, marked with some pictures, slipped it back. As I stood up, three Frenchmen walked out of the scrub behind and stood one at the head, one in the middle, and one at the tail of that same pool, and they started casting. Remember, they had baseball hats on. And they weren't the wrong way around, so they were still working at 100% mental capacity. Mark and I went off fishing, and two and a half hours later we came back for coffee to the camp. Those three Frenchmen were still standing in the same place, casting into the pool that was ruined. Now, had they grown up with fishing properly, and learnt to wear wellies and thigh waders, an old pair of cords or moleskins, and a scruffy old shirt and a pullover, and, say, the jacket that they used to wear at the office, or Bob, the old tweed jacket they wore when they were teaching the class at school when they were working, and an old battered felt hat, in which you can stick your flies when they need drying off. You can't do that with baseball hats. They would have caught far, far, far more. Let us rid ourselves of this yankinism, not only in Britain, but in fishing.